Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Corey Wilton, a co-founder at Mirai Labs and Pegasy. Corey, thank you for coming on the show, particularly on short notice. I saw something you posted on LinkedIn, and I just said, I got to have a conversation about this. How are you doing, by <laughs> the way? I'm all good this side. I appreciate you um, giving me the opportunity to come on as well. It is my pleasure. And just to get some context for people that don't know you yet, can you get a little bit of background on you? For sure, for sure. Um, so I guess on a, on a personal side, I'm based over here in Australia, uh, born and raised in Australia as well. I guess on the, the professional background, straight out of school, basically right into building my own stuff. I guess my first little company was uh, a failed company. Absolutely. I think I was 16 or 17. But um, uh, what I did see was a bit of a gap in the market of Dollar Shave Club, if anyone's familiar. So in my brain at that time, I was like, I'm going to go and build a female version. And um, obviously that didn't work. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad. It was a great experience for me. And then one thing led to another over the years. And I guess my first proper quote unquote success for, for a young person um, was back in 2018. Uh, I started something called Helpdesk, which was a, a customer support, 24-7 customer support company uh, focused on supporting ICOs. So uh, startup companies during the crypto, first crypto uh, craze, I guess. And that one went really, really well for us and went through till it was still running through 2020, 2021, like around the bear. But um in 2019, I also started Australia's largest, um, I co-founded it, I should say, um, Toy Gun Shop. That was in e-commerce. So um, that was another a little thing, I guess, was a, was new to me, except that the only background I really had was for the um, the Female Razor Club. And uh, yeah, one thing led to another. That one did amazing. Uh, I left that one and came back into the crypto space full time. I think it was end of 2020, early 2021. And that's... Um, where we started Mirai. What got you into being an entrepreneur? I mean, when I graduated from college, I went and took a more traditional route. I just went and worked mm -hmm. at Morgan Stanley, but you basically graduated from school, I guess, and just said, or was it graduated from high school and just said- It was, it was high school. Yeah, you graduated from high school and you're like, okay, never mind. I'm not gonna even go to university, which frankly, mm -hmm. I have a daughter who's probably a little bit younger than you are. I don't care either way, mm -hmm. to be fair. Mm -hmm. And just said, never mind. I'm just gonna start my own stuff. Like why? Yeah, actually through from about grade 10 to grade 12, which is our last year yep. in Australia, um, I was deadly focused on being a, a fighter pilot um, in the Air Force. And so I did the chemistry, I did the physics, maths, all, all this stuff, yep. aerospace. Uh, and I just basically gave myself one ultimatum. Uh, like I only had a plan A and that was get into this specific university. Um, I had a bit of a bad experience in, in high school in the sense that um, I guess pretense is why everything happened. But uh, basically I was in grade 11 and a girl in our grade was in grade 12 uh, geography, but uh, she was a year ahead. So basically what happened is that when I went into grade 12 and was doing geography, I asked for her tests or her, um, your paper, right? You write up your, your yep. piece. I forget what it's called. Um, anyway, I took hers and I literally just put my name on it. Oh, and no. I took her exact thing. So uh, I know that's bad, but I did it anyway. And uh, I had the exact same teacher she had the year before, oh, no. a year later. She got an A plus. I got a B minus on the exact same thing. Oh, my which, God. 
makes me think that in, in my brain, I was like, how is that physically possible? This teacher didn't recognize it and still gave me a B minus where she got an A plus. That means there is no possibility of me actually excelling in this school because the teacher's opinions of me, it's not on my work. So what happened is basically I had tutors, I had everything. Like I was going into this university and I was positive on it. Mentality was all good. I didn't get in uh, based on my my marks. And uh, after that, I just had that reflection moment of like, you know, that geography class, like how I had set myself up, being a bit of a class clown, not being, you know, the best with the teachers. Uh, even if I had the smarts, it, it didn't matter. My personality didn't suit an A student. And uh, unfortunately, that's just the route it went. And then that was it. I only applied for one university. I didn't get in. And I was like, screw it. I'm going into sales. So uh, at 17, I was walking about 15 kilometers a day, knocking doors um, in, in a sales company. And the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> that is an awesome story. I think it's so interesting, though. Like you said it, you took this lady's paper, you did something wrong, and yet the outcome wasn't what I expected, right? I kind of expected <laughs> yeah. you to get in trouble, get expelled, or right. some such thing, right? This would be the normal thing. The teacher should recognize at some level. I mean, I know they see a lot of papers, but it's not that many. Mm -hmm. And like you were punished in this weird way. What's the bias, right? But this has to teach you it's something. It's karma, I guess. Not but, karma, yeah. I don't know, but it's got to teach you a little bit about bias, right? Right. I don't know mm -hmm. who the young lady is. I don't know who the teacher is, and frankly, I don't care. But there's a, some kind of systemic bias, whether it was because of the class clown thing or whatever. If it's really yep. meant to be a meritocracy, then what really should have happened was you should have had an F, right? And you should have been thrown out. Great. But if you're going to take it, it's a one for one thing, yeah? Anyway. I should have been an A plus. Well, whatever, it should have been the same. <laughs> it's, it's odd. That's a really interesting story. But I like the fact yeah. that at some level you'd made you just say, look, here's my goal. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to go to this one university. I had plan A. My plan B was whatever happened after that, whatever I decided after that. And you just said, never mind, and went into sales. In a way, I kind of mm -hmm. love this, yeah? That's just me. <laughs> But so this first company you started, I love this idea of, uh, you know, I started this company based on the Dollar Shave Club for women and that failed. Yeah. And I want to get to the other stuff that you posted about a couple of days ago, right? Because that's important <laughs> to me. But this idea of, you know, failure is good is only good if you learn something from it, right? Now, clearly you did. But what was it like when you went out to start these other companies? What was going on in the brain that said, it's okay, that thing didn't work, but this thing should, that makes you just keep going? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And um, I think I think a lot of it did come down to personal development. Just I was really trying to harbor a strong mind when I was, you know, 17 through to 20. Yep. And um, that first job that I got out of of school, um, the attempt was actually to be in telesales. I got confused somehow, and it was a door knocking job. And I was like, "Screw it!" I got the job. I was like, "Screw it! We'll just go with it. that anyway." And um, yeah, and a mentality that you had there is that it's always the next door. It's like you knock on the door, they say no. You're like next door, next door, next door, next door, and you do that for twelve months, and you just get in that mental state to where it's like if you just keep going, 
like day after day, it just proved itself. If you just tell yourself it's the next door, it's the next door, it's the next door, it's the next door, you will eventually get to a yes. And it, it kind of made me a little bit numb to rejection. Um, now, I definitely wasn't prepared for obviously what was to come in the following years with how difficult running companies actually is. Yeah. And um, definitely not saying I'm an expert at any level right now even, but um, it just kind of set the precedence for a 17-year-old, 18-year-old to get that much rejection and still be able to push. Uh, it just gave me that little bit of confidence. And it was just through that failure that I recognized at some point the law of averages gives away. Yeah. And you will get there if you're good at what you do. But Corey, think about this. One of the things I always say is that all of life is a conversion problem. And this mm. next door thing, and I love this, this next door, it's just the next door thing, is it explains this perfectly in the physical world, right? In the digital world, it's just about conversions. But frankly, I think in the physical world, it is too. And that's all you're saying, really, is that <laughs> you just keep going. And at some point, someone's going to say yes. And as long as you don't care about the no's, the yeses are the only thing that matters. And you just keep going. So it's cool. your only option, right? Like yeah, we were on zero base. So that means like if we don't sell, we didn't get paid. And I'm walking 15 kilometers a day for eight to 10 hours. I'm like, I'm not going to do this shit for free. Like I, <laughs> I, have, to, get I have to sell, <laughs> you so, know, so it has to be the next door. Otherwise I might as well just not rock up to work. So how old are you, you know, now? I'm 25. 25. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> You're practically dead. Um, How did you get... <laughs> How did you get involved in the crypto markets? Like, what was the epiphany for you? Uh, it was actually back then. It was just um, during the ICO stage. So, you know, when Tron was going big, all those type of things. And it was just exposure through friends. And then, again, I went into these communities. And it was the same thing as the Dollar Shave Club. I looked on the Dollar Shave Club Facebook ads. And the girls were like, can girls use this too? And I was right. like, well, there's a market. And then I go into these ICOs, these these companies trying to launch, and they've got no effing customer support. If I ask a question, no one answers it. I'm like, well, how about I go and fix that? So that was it. I just dove straight in. That is so awesome. And are you a cryptocurrency owner right now? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and look, people can't see this, but one of the things I first noticed when you popped onto the video is you're sitting in a gamer's chair. Comfort. Yeah, just for pure comfort, right? I always like to say, like, I don't think you can remove people's life experiences from what they end up doing for the rest of their life. I, I want to talk about what exactly is Mirai Labs and what is Pegasi? Yeah. So how we got to this stage is an interesting one again. Um, like I mentioned, I, I dove back into crypto uh, because we had done that successful company, that, that e-commerce, the gun store is still around now. Um, but, uh, we decided to leave cause it just wasn't something that I wanted to do anymore. So dove back in because I just had fond memories of crypto. Actually, the, the first time I heard NFTs, I think Gary V just said the word on his story and back in like 2020 or something like that. Interesting. And I was like, what is this? So I actually ended up on OpenSea and, um, <laughs> I'm a avid F1 fan and I saw F1 Delta time from Animoca yep. and I was like, oh, well shit, here we go. Uh, this is the one. So I, I dove in, um, bought some of the assets and stuff like that. And I noticed that they were harboring a, a decent community. Like it, it was on the Ethereum chain. So things were excessively expensive. Like one transaction for me to move one thing to another was like literally $300. So was it, really it was almost that expensive. It was obnoxious. And to even start playing, I would probably have spent about a thousand dollars in gas just to play the game. 
So that's without the assets. So it's pretty obnoxious. And um, anyway, I, I thought, you know, I'll spend it just to play. And um, I got in, uh, started speaking to the community. And there's a few things like when I first got in, there was no tutorials. Like I had no clue what's going on. I didn't know what to do. So basically what I decided to do is just for fun, just film my process because I wanted to help this game succeed. Like if they'd be able to get the F1 right to build a game around Formula One, yeah. then they're doing something right. But they're just missing, I guess, a community member who's willing to just help someone new come in. Fair so enough. that's what I did. Um, and I just basically made a video of like, this is my experience. Like, don't do this, do this. And that was it. There was no real intent behind it. And um, through that, actually... The co-founder of Mirai Labs, um, there's two other co-founders with me, but um, one of them just saw my video and messaged me and was like, hey, we're building a game. And I was, I, I can still remember it. I was like, I'm not replying to this. <laughs> like, how many people will message you out of the blue on Discord? Like, I don't even see their profile. I don't know even who this is. Anyway, I just, I entertained the messages. One thing led to another. We got talking and then we became friends and I guess, honestly, the rest is history. That was about January, March, March, April, I think, of 2021. Of 2021. So about a year ago. So it's interesting yep. that you brought up this F1 Delta thing because in March, Animoca Brands shut this game down. And it was part of this, at least it looks to me like it's part of this licensing problem that you talked about, right? You license a game, you sell all these assets. What's the view from the community? I haven't been in the Discord on F1 Delta. I'm sure there is one. Mm. What's the view on the community? I mean, I, and I think it's, I think it goes both ways on this, right? Like you kind of know you're taking a risk if the game is licensed, right? Because at some point you're at the behest of F1. Mm -hmm. What's the view in the community on this one? Yeah, that's a tough one. I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't think there was much attention ever on F1 Delta Time. I like literally loved that game at the time. Like there hasn't been many games in my, since I graduated high school, basically, um, that I was able to play daily and justify it because I enjoyed it, but also had the potential to earn something. So that that really filled the gap for me. And, and I did enjoy that game. So when I joined, for example, uh, maybe January, February, 2021 or something like that, um, they said that they were bridging to Polygon. When they shut down over a year later, they were still on Ethereum chain, Yeah, which it takes a grand total of about 24 hours. To, to go and sort that stuff out, which is scary and unfortunate. And the community, the people that... You mean to move from Ethereum into Polygon, yeah? Yeah. Basically, it, it's not literally, but it's like a copy and paste type situation. There's a lot of dev work that needs to be done, of sure. course, but yeah, yeah. to actually execute it, you need a grand total of about 24 hours of decision making, and then you're good to go. Um, any Solidity dev is probably more than experienced with doing something like that and again uh the community that i saw when i first joined was still 80 percent there when it shut down like the game had a lot of great features but they never ever developed and i to this day i don't know what they were thinking and when when you're a community member you think it's safe you you don't expect them to just get the licensing deal with Formula One of all people and not give a shit? Yeah, here's the question for me though, right? And I didn't expect to talk about this a lot today. 
And I knew a guy who was trying to build a game off the Avatar franchise, and this was years ago, right? And I always thought there was so much risk in this, right? Because the Avatar people, right? People that make the movie are just so much more powerful and so much bigger than you are and don't care about you. I mean, Animoca is huge. You can go out and listen. I did a whole episode with Robbie Young, right? So I've, I know this brand. I know this company pretty well. But F1 in the Ecclestone family, very different than what's happening in Animoca and much more mainstream, for lack of a better term. But I worry about the future of these branded or um, licensed games, right? And it's a racing game, and I get it. So you want to you want to be the characters that race in F1. You want to use the cars that they use and stuff like that. But at some level, I feel like these licensed games have a problem because you're always at the behest of the people that own the license, Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly right. How can you revoke the existence of an asset that you don't own, which is interesting to me? Like they sell these assets as a Formula One asset and then you lose the licensing agreement. What does it say about fungibility and interoperability though, right? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I guess this is just part and parcel of being early, right? But if no one's trying to solve the problem, then it's just going to keep repeating. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if there was enough users. I'm not sure if there was just enough anything for Animoca to really care, unfortunately. Yeah, again, you're right. It's super early days, right? I mean, just the fact that we're talking about it and we think that it's interesting to discuss means that it's still pretty early days. I mean, Animoca is a serious company. Robbie's a serious guy, right? So that's for sure. But it'll just be interesting to see how this progresses going forward. I want to talk Mm -hmm. about your game and specifically about this thing that you posted on LinkedIn a few days ago. Because you said, I feel like I'm in a unique position to talk about this. Can you run me through this whole experience of what happened? And then maybe I can follow up and ask some questions about it as you go along. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So I guess uh, I'll start from the dead start. When us boys got together, the three of us, we just had a look at the market. And um, during that time, uh, the what, the movers in the space towards the start of 2021 were Zed Run and Axie. From memory, I don't think Axie had really just started its massive movement, but it was on its way. Yeah. It was early, but you could feel it like it was trending. Yeah. Go ahead. Yep. And um, I understood Zed Run. Zed Run was a very easy concept to understand from the outside. But um, Axie, I really had to figure out like what it was that was working there. And um, it was pretty obvious that it was the guilds and the the rental system and the scholarships. Yep. So uh, looking at that, um, our intent from the get-go was to come to market with a very basic MVP with infrastructure. So the game itself, when we released, was a 2D arcade auto racer. It was very, very, very simple. And the thing that was different was our infrastructure what we enabled players to do inside the game so for example in axie um if listeners are not familiar there's something called a scholarship to where basically it's account sharing so if you have an email a password and a crypto wallet the assets are held in the crypto wallet and you log into the email and password so if you share the email and password but not the crypto wallet then they can play the assets but they can't move them or control them which means it's a little bit of a loophole that was actually discovered by the community and not intended by Axie. And that kind of took off. So if I have a thousand wallets with a thousand different accounts attached to it, I can share it with a thousand people and they would play for me. And I would just make an agreement with them that I will give you 50% of whatever you make because you're playing, I own it. So I'll take the other 50%. I take the financial risk. You do the time. Yeah. Wait a second. So this is interesting. If you look at what I published today, I just had the founders Mm -hmm. of YGGC on my show. 
Yes. And we had I spent a little bit of time talking about this idea. To me, this looks like a prime brokerage model, and maybe you are not familiar with this. If I own Apple stock, right, I can lend it out. And I can own a million shares of Apple stock, and I can lend that out in pieces if you want to, let's say, in most cases, it's to short the stock. But in some cases, it may be to cover some option exposure or some other exposure that you have. And I tried to make this analogy to what's happening in the crypto space, particularly in the, in the play-to-earn space, where you own all these assets, yeah, in your wallet. Mm -hmm. You've paid for these NFTs, but you say, hey, you can play for me, you can play for me, you can play for me, because you then have a kind of an outside the gaming infrastructure agreement that says, if you earn, you pay me 50%. Now, the guild gets a certain amount of this money if you're playing Axie, right, with YGG. So you owe them some money as well. But basically what you're saying is, if I can buy enough assets, I can then lend out those assets to a bunch of people through the mechanism of giving them the email address and the password, which connects to their wallet, not mine. I get to earn and then I pay some of my earnings back to Axie. Is that right? Or back to YGG, yeah? Yeah. So Axie doesn't get anything because they don't own anything. Yeah, sorry. So, it goes back to the guild. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there is a fundamental flaw in that because it is actually a loophole in the system. Now, yeah. I say fundamental flaw. It's more so it's just a, a paperwork issue. Yeah, just an Let's unanticipated, say you are it's an unanticipated okay. event that's taking place. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And even from a guild perspective, let's say you're YGG. They have about, I think it's 30,000 scholars. So that means they have 30,000 emails, 30,000 wallets. Yep. That is a ridiculous amount. Ridiculous meaning a lot or a little? That's a lot. That is ahead, that okay. is intense because of the, the amount of work that's required to manage it. So yes, yes, because yes. it's actually a, a loophole, what that means is that the owner actually controls the assets but also gets 100% of the earnings. So what they need to do is manually send the 50% to those renters, to the scholars, which you got 30,000 wallets. Imagine doing 30,000 payouts every single month. That is truly obnoxious. That's by hand, and you know what it's like to it's transfer work. crypto. There's, a, there's a lot of clicks. <laughs> there's a lot of clicks. So we're just not at that point. So what, what I did was basically go into Axie and build a guild, and was I got first-hand experience about what is – not working for them. Go ahead. You built your, but you did kind of built your own guild, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I, I wanted to see from their perspective, what's difficult, what's annoying, what can I fix? So okay. when I did that, it was obvious. I, I get to 30 scholars and I'm sick of doing the payouts myself. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so I have a dev and he's like, I can build an automated system for you. I just need all of your wallet keys for me. I'm like, well, shit. I have to give up my keys to make an automated system. Someone who has a million dollars in assets, there's no way they're going to give you access to their keys yeah, no to a stranger. So it's, it's impossible. That, that's just simply not scalable. So I took this and was like, all right, this is just a, a rental system in theory. Escrow is not a new thing that, no. like, that's existed forever. So let's build an on-chain escrow system. So that's what we built. We built an on-chain, fully automated escrow system in inside of our game, which made scaling a guild basically compared to what Axie is like a piece of cake. There is no paperwork. There is no management. So you would come to our game, Peg Axie. You would own an asset, for example, one of the horses, and a scholar comes along. He's like, I want to rent your horse. So I'm like, sweet. 
send me your wallet address. What I do is I go to the horse in the game, I click rent. I set the percentage that I want to give to them. Might Let's say 50-50. I put in their wallet address, I click rent. It goes up into an escrow contract. The, the Pegasus sits in there, but the contract can actually read what wallet it's meant to show in. So it will show the pay. Oh, I have a question. Okay. So you said it goes into a contract. Yeah. Is that an Ethereum smart contract? Is it a Polygon? Like, how does that work? What's the Polygon. technology behind it? Yep, it's on it's on the Polygon chain. So our, our game's on the Polygon chain. So Axie's on Ronin. That's their own chain. We use Polygon because it's all open. Go ahead. We just thought that would be easier. Yep. So, um, yeah, so it goes up into a, a Polygon contract. And uh, up there in that contract is the Pega, where the wallet that it's meant to display in plus the percentage. So what it does is show the Pega, and it's playable, only playable by racing in the Scholar's wallet. So when the Scholar goes to the game now, it'll say that you can race this Pega. Perfect. Let's say the Scholar goes and races the Pega and they win. They get 100 tokens. That earnings now goes up into the escrow wallet. It reads the percentage that we split it it automatically distributes it to either party instantly. Got it. So there is no payout. So going from Axie, you need a 1,000 wallets, you need a 1,000 emails. Going to Pegaxie, you need a 1,000 horses, one wallet. That's it. And All the payouts the, are automated. What kind of security is there around that, um, <clears throat> sorry, around that escrow? It's just an online, so basically everyone can see it, and it's just a, it's an on-chain contract. Um, it, it's it's actually very very simple. Um, it, it, I don't know really know how to how else to put it beyond like um, it's like it's like interacting with anything on-chain. Uh, it just needs to be built correctly and get audited, but um, like it, it is very very simple. And what was the response from the community for the Peg Axie game? Um, and this was early yeah, days in really this game scary. too. Yeah. Like you said, it was just a beta. No, yeah, go ahead. It, it was, it was like basically an MVP. Like we barely had a game even now, like our game is really not developed, but, um, people didn't care about the game, <laughs> which is insane, but that's kind of relates back to, I guess my post, which we'll get in later. Um, so I had preempted what people wanted to see because I took the perspective of a user, right? So I removed all the bottlenecks. I removed all the rough edges. And we we intended to come to market with a couple users, like maybe 10 to 20,000 at maximum. So we did zero marketing, zero promo, literally nothing. And um, just hung out with a couple of guilds, basically. And back then, even going to a guild or having a guild play your game early wasn't really normal um like it is today so anyway we did that we didn't really expect much from it we launched it um the small community i think there was two thousand three thousand people were really hyped to play we dive in they start managing it and then i guess one thing leads to another word gets out that pegaxi has amazing rental infrastructure and scalability for what they were doing in axi people didn't look at the game they just looked at how easily they could scale their guilds. And uh, that's kind of what 
created the snowball effect. But this is interesting though, because what this was one of the questions that I actually had for the founders of YGGC yesterday, right? Is that what prevents me from starting my own guild? In other words, automation has always been a thing that I've been working on, right? Whether it was at Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs or wherever I worked, we always automated processes, right? So before people talked about RPA, we were automating stuff to make, to get scaled, it's like very similar to what you did. And you're right, you know, we went from trading you know, $100 million a day to trading billions of dollars a day because we just were figured out how to use algorithmic trading to scale our business, right? And mm -hmm. this is a concept that's very familiar to me. But what you're suggesting here is that you can go out and build your own guild because you've built the technology to be able to scale. Like you said, if you have a thousand wallets, if you have to do that manually, making those payouts, it's, it's just impossible. It's physically impossible yeah. to do. But if you automate that process... It means you can then go out to any game. And it also means to me, and tell me where I'm wrong here, that there's a massive amount of people out there that want to create their own scholarshiping, if that makes sense, where it's like, I can afford to go out and buy all these um, assets, but I'm not really interested in playing the game. But I know you are, and I can lend you all those assets and let you play, and I can earn, as long as then yeah. I have the facility to then go out and use this one-click rental. Does that make sense? That's that's that like basically, guilds game agnostic. So should be guilds above all. Guilds are independent of the game. Yeah. So it's on us at the game level to create that infrastructure for them to come into the game and uh, entice them to come in. You don't want to build a game where it's difficult to run a guild if you want guilds inside your game. Sure. So that was basically the foundation of what. I guess our reasoning behind it for people to look at it in the correct way or the way that, that we look at it guilds are in a very early stage as well what is a guild you don't need to have a vc raise to be a guild basically you've got mum and type guilds which have mm, 20 to 50 people in it that's considered a guild but uh now you've got these mega giants um like ygg who are you know enormous type guilds they're definitely different and i think guilds are also in the process of self-discovery yeah, it's early. Yeah, very, very early. And I just don't expect them to be the ones who will go out there and do the automation. If a game wants to attract users, I think it's going to be on them to facilitate the infrastructure. I think the guilds, are, their main struggle here is going to be able to keep talent when they go into competitive games. Again, it's probably just going to replicate an esports team type situation, but... Yeah, I guess we're going on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> no, not really. This is all this is all really interesting stuff. So tell me about what happened when you did this game thing, right? So you got all these people in sure. that you didn't expect. What was the result? Yeah, so I would say after 30 days, that that's when we were kind of like, whoa, all right, I guess our assumptions were correct. I went into it, like I mentioned, expecting to be, but I knew that we solved a massive issue with that uh, infrastructure. However, I didn't recognize that people would latch onto it that intensely. We launched in November uh, 15th. Um, I guess that's uh, important for context with timing. Yep. Um, I believe Axie had just started to see a bit of a pivot where there was a little bit of fear in the community and money wanted to move. When we launched, word got around, money moved. We happened to be the next one on the block um, that facilitated rentals. So, yeah. Out of that, I would say one to two months, possibly. We had already crossed 100 million through the native marketplace just on horse sales. 100 million US dollars of sales of assets. 
yeah, just peer-to-peer -peer people trading horses, which are on a 2D game, $100 million. And we're sitting there like, we haven't even been able to release products. Uh, this is insane. Lots of complaints from the community because the game is in like an MVP. There's bugs. So we're sitting there and it's a very tough situation to to be able to keep focus on like, you, you need it in your brain. You're like, figure out what, what the F has actually just happened here. We've built amazing infrastructure. It's like people that talk about like your go-to-market strategy. Imagine going to market, having the perfect infrastructure for bringing in customers. I use the, the example of a pizza shop. You have amazing marketing. Everybody in the city wants to go to your pizza shop. They rock up and effing no one is in the damn shop to, to make pizza. pizza. So this is, I'm so glad you use pizza because this is my go-to example for everything because everyone does it, it so it makes perfect sense to it. It's like, okay, if you're a pizza shop, you're not making hamburgers. Like everything to me is a pizza shop. Anyway, go ahead. But this, again, this yeah. is also really interesting. You've basically built a highway and a payment system and all these other things for people to get to the pizza shop. The only thing that's not done, at least at the time you're talking about, is the pizza shop itself is the way to make pizzas, which yep. you knew. Right, so you weren't mm -hmm. saying that it was ready. You were just like, here's all this infrastructure that we built first because frankly, if you build the game first, but there's no rental ability into it, well then who cares, right? Because it doesn't facilitate the stuff you want to facilitate. Do I have that right? Correct. In reality, we wanted to build live. That was our intent. So we wanted to build with the community and get live data, real data. That's why we launched the economy, the game, the game. basically everything just went out. We were like, all right, we've got the MVP. Let's go with the tokens. Let's go with everything. Let's let's build a solid 10 to 20K community and build over right. the next two years. And uh, again, it, it's tough to predict. Like, it's a weird situation when um, you took $200 million for any game, AAA or not, is a serious amount of money to go through a platform. And to hit that in under six months of launch, when most of the time your game was in 2D, is um, especially for a startup, big lesson lots and lots of things to learn i yeah. guess is the easiest way to put it what are those things right in other words are you still going to develop this game is it still in progress because the idea yeah. was to kind of build the airplane while it was flying frankly right mm -hmm. that's correct and it was because um when, when you go to market and you're that early you don't have anyone to copy so building behind the scenes i mean means we have to wait for well, you other don't know if you're doing the right out. thing the whole time, right? So what's the That's point? the reality of innovation. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, there's no one here to copy. Axie is out there live now. We've learned amazing things from them. They, you know, basically set the foundation for everything that we have today. Let's get live and also be a contributor for the space so that games that are building in silence are able to use us as a data point as well of what to do and what not to do. Right. And that was a thesis, I guess. So again, yeah, we, we just launched live and um, those lessons are more so on a personal point for different people inside the company. But sure. that, that's why I made that post because I just wanted to give my personal perspective to, to my feelings towards how we have, um, I guess, shifted company intent because when you release with something like that, it's very easy to get jaded on you did something right when people are telling you that, oh, my God, this is amazing. You've moved to blah, blah, blah. When in reality, you've basically done nothing. You're still a baby. You know, companies that don't have a product don't go to an IPO and do 100x. Right. Like that's just not normal. So you get jaded and you get distracted. And what we did was basically become reactive, meaning that 
the community would complain about a bug, we would need to fix that bug. Uh, they would want this type of development. We would shift resources and go and do that development. And it would turn us a little bit off the course of our planned roadmap. And the reason for that is that our roadmap consisted of developments, you know, over the next two years, there's obviously going to be up and down periods during that, but it had already felt like we should have been mature and it distracts you. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was the main lesson there. And while, while we were up in that upward trend, we really needed to take a step back and be like, what's happening here? Are we still on the right course? Are we, are we making decisions through ego? Um, are we going to end up in the same place that we always wanted to? And are these our real, real users or are we also passengers on a train? And I guess that was the, the foundation of that post that I, that I made. It was like, we were also passengers. We're not in control here. We don't have $200 million. Where did this money come from? We didn't finish the game yet. So why are people speculating? It yeah. was something that we never actually created that we were getting credit for. We didn't want that hype. Yeah, of course. Do you feel like this is the future of the way that some of these games are going to be developed? And again, go back to the way AAA games were developed in the past. You kind of knew it was coming out, right? Because the big AAA development companies would tell you, you know, in mm -hmm. 2024 or whatever it was, we're going to launch a game based on X. And you'd kind of wait as scenes from the game got leaked out and there was all this anticipation was built and then it was boom, it was just launched, right? And this is before crypto yep. stuff, right? But now because it's so early and because everything's connected, yeah, and because there are discords and there are communities that get built around these games where the people that are actually playing the games and people that are developing them are actually in mid-conversation constantly, right? Do you feel like from now on people are going to build games like this where they're building it out in the open in real time? Like we said earlier, as the plane is flying, they're putting the wheels on, they're making the wings better? Or do you feel like what you've learned here is maybe we shouldn't go out with the game before it's ready to be played? My opinion on that still stands that it isn't that. Uh, it's more so your interpretation of what happened. Our interpretation was that people cared about us, about the game. But the reality was they're just trying to make money off each other. So something that we needed to do is take a step back and say to ourselves, just because you launch, just because you have all this hype, and just because you're in Web3 does not mean that you can ignore business fundamentals. Right. You need a product. You need sustainability. You need profitability. You need to go to market strategy. Web3 gets you in a weird mindset to think that user acquisition is actually easy because all you need is a bit of hype. Yeah. It's incorrect and unsustainable. Yep. These real companies out there are doing groundwork that costs millions of dollars to be able to maintain these user acquisition strategies. They have strategies for user retention plus profitability on top of all of those costs. Those are business fundamentals. The reason for that post was basically me trying to warn these games that your interpretation or goal to do what Pegaxi did, even though we were very, very blessed to experience that and 
you know, it, it puts a lot in our treasury to give us much more runway with the studio. But the reality is that is it's like hitting the lottery and the lottery is not always good. You hit the lottery one time and you get jaded. If we remain in that jaded situation, we're never going back to our core fundamental in two years time. This isn't even meant to be a game that the crypto community is interested in because we've hidden crypto, we've hidden blockchain all inside the game. We're going out there and targeting Web2 users right. and just using the benefits of blockchain. These guys are here during what I call the first four stages. There's five stages. It's kind of like the niche community. Then you move into the word of mouth users. Then you move into uh, the bit of a hype stage. And then you move into a realization stage. Those first four parts are the same users. The fifth part is maturity. Maturity is actually the start of a new cycle, which is completely new users. The first four parts go through all of the bullshit, the ups and downs, the struggles, the failures, the tough times. But in maturity, that's real user acquisition and real business. And they're new users. For one, they don't know the history. For two, they don't give a shit about the history. A new cycle has begun. A lot of the people in the industry are very, very fearful of maturity because they believe we're a DeFi product. And in DeFi, maturity means basically, uh, what do you call it, where there's a whole bunch of them. Like the crypto market is their only audience in right. DeFi. There, there is no outside audience. Games are not DeFi. We are building here now because we have that. It's a topic of discussion. But when it becomes normal, when it's mature, they're not going to give a shit about GameFi or the games that are coming out. And it's going to come back to business fundamentals always. I guess that's the position that I just wanted to express to these new games coming out. You probably do not want to go and get the crypto hype. It's not what you're aiming for. It's very, very short term. Corey, that is the perfect way to end. And you got to promise me you're going to come back and have sure. like ongoing conversations with me. But this was awesome. Can I thank you, Corey Wilton, for coming on and doing this today? Of course, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much.